Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 16. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Michael. I'm one of the ministry trainees here at Woodcroft. Uh, Some of you may remember the 1980s television series, The A-Team. That was just a little bit before my time. But I have seen the 2010 18 movie based on that same TV series. And in the TV series and the movie, John Hannibal Smith, the leader of the A-Team, he has a catchphrase, often said at the end of one of their crazy adventures, uh, with a cigar hanging out the side of his mouth, Hannibal will say, I love it when a plan comes together. Well, I also love it when our plan comes together. But I've found more often than not, my plans haven't come together. In fact, as I think back across my life, think back to many of the major decision points, the forks in the road, many of my plans simply haven't come together and played out like I expected them to. This whole year of 2020, doesn't it just feel like a plan not coming together? Doesn't it just seem like one thing after another not going according to plan? Things not turning out the way that we planned, the way that we wish they would, is a reality in which each of us have to deal with, no matter how good a planner you are. And the challenge that remains in the midst of this reality is how will I respond when my plans fail? Now I want you to stop and mentally just take a few seconds now to consider how do you respond when your plans fail? As we come to the Bible passage today in Philippians chapter 3, we see the example of Paul and how he responds when his plans fail. We know that from earlier in the letter, in chapter 1 verse 14, Paul is in chains. He's in prison. This was not the plan. And yet he provides this great example of maturity in how he responds to these circumstances. And I've broken his response into three main points, which I'll address in turn. 
First, we see that regardless of his circumstances, Paul's desire is always to know Christ, to relationally know him more and more. Second, we see that this desire to know Christ, it comes within the framework of Christ already knowing Paul and Christ having established the relationship with Paul. And thirdly, this relational framework enables Paul to press on, striving towards the prize that awaits him. So I'll say those three points again. Firstly, desiring to know Christ. Secondly, because we are known by Christ. And thirdly, pressing on towards the prize. We pick up today in verse 10 of chapter 3. Now, verse 10, it's a continuation of the thoughts and ideas that were introduced in the earlier parts of chapter 3, which Colin shared with us last week. You know, it was there that we saw that all of Paul's great credentials, everything that he could have used to elevate himself in Jewish society, he counted those things as rubbish in comparison to having faith in Jesus. Because it is only through faith in Jesus and not our own credentials that we can be in a right relationship with God. But what is the nature of this faith? Well, that's what Paul addresses here as we continue the train of thought in verse 10. Here, Paul defines the nature of Christian faith as a desire to know Jesus. And that's my first point. Having faith is to know Christ. Having faith means desiring to know Christ. Let's read verses 10 and 11 again. Starting at verse 10, there it says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. What does it mean to know Christ? Well, firstly, to know someone, it's not something that is you know, abstract or static. But it's relational and dynamic. More than that, to really know someone means not just knowing factual, intellectual things about them, like how old they are, you know, where they grew up, who their family members are, things like this, but to have an emotional knowledge of them, to know how they think, to know what's important to them. Because there are you know, different levels to knowing people, aren't there? We all know who Scott Morrison is. We would recognise him if we saw him walking down the street. We might even call him by the nickname you know, ScoMo to show that we, we really know him. But I doubt that each of us individually actually knows him, have talked to him, spent time with him. No, we really only know about him. We don't know him relationally. Then there are people in each of our lives 
who we do know much more personally and intimately. I think about my mate Jack. We've known each other for 12 years. We studied at university together. We both worked for the Air Force together. We've been on holidays together. We even lived in the same house together for three and a half years. All that time together, all those shared experiences, it means that Jack and I, well, we know each other pretty well. All those shared experiences have created a relational knowledge. All those shared experiences mean that I know him much, much better than I know Scott Morrison. And I'm sure that you can think of people in each of your own lives who you share a deep relational knowledge with. And here in verse 10, it's this deep, intimate, relational knowledge of Jesus that Paul is seeking. And just like we get to know each other more intimately through shared experiences, Paul is showing us that we get to know Christ through sharing in the same things that he experienced. Paul desires to share in Christ's sufferings because through that, through that experience, Paul knows that he will know Christ more. Sharing in his experiences, in his sufferings, this is what Jesus calls those who would follow him to do. Jesus doesn't promise those who would follow him a healthy, wealthy life in this lifetime, but rather that true followers of him will share in his sufferings. Now, as Jesus himself, he sets his eyes on the cross and the suffering he was to endure there. In the book of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34, he says to the crowds who are following him, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. On the surface level, that doesn't sound appealing, does it? A life of self-denial, of suffering, a life of health and wealth. Well, that sounds far more appealing, doesn't it? But just like Hannibal Smith in the A-Team, God also has a plan, and he loves it when it comes together. Because as we see in verses 10 and 11 in chapter 3 of Philippians, suffering was not the end for Jesus. But the plan was always for the power of God to raise him back to eternal life. And not only do those who come to know Jesus, who come to know him more intimately through the shared experience of suffering, those who follow Jesus also come to know him for all eternity through the shared experience of resurrection from the dead to eternal life. Well, Brian Rosner, he's the principal of Ridley College in Melbourne. And in his book, Known by God, he provides a helpful summary of this understanding of knowing Christ and being known by him. In his book, Rosner says that for Christians, we see that our personal identity is inextricably tied up with Jesus Christ and with his identity. The defining moments of his life 
define our lives as well. And his destiny is our destiny. As we saw back in chapter 2 of Philippians, Jesus was raised to eternal life and exalted to the highest place. That is his destiny. The promise that this life is not all that there is, that there is resurrection from death to an eternal life of pure joy without any suffering, well, that is the destiny that is promised for those who would follow Jesus and come to know him relationally. With Jesus' destiny, it becomes our destiny. And that's exceedingly better than health and wealth in this limited lifetime. So having faith, it means desiring to know Jesus relationally. This raises the challenging question for each of us. Do you and do I, do we desire to know Jesus? And not just to know about him intellectually, but rather to know him relationally and emotionally. To come to know him more and more, regardless of whether things in your life are going according to plan or not. To follow his example, to share in his experiences, to have the defining moments of Jesus' life be the defining moments of your own life. All that may sound like a daunting list of things that you have to do in order to know Jesus, to know him, and be accepted by him. But as we read on, we see in verse 12, this task of coming to know Christ, to share in his experiences, to have his defining moments define us, it comes within the context of already being known by Christ. And that's my second point. We are already known by Christ. Let's read verse 12 again. There Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Here Paul explains the context in which he is seeking to know Christ and to share in his experiences. And the reason is not to establish a relationship with Christ or to win his acceptance or his admiration, no, rather, Christ has already established the relationship with Paul. And at the end of verse 12, it says, Christ Jesus took hold of me. Jesus is the one who did the work to establish the relationship. The response of Paul seeking to know Christ is therefore within the context of he himself already being known by Christ already being loved and accepted and taken hold of by Christ. This is the way that God works throughout the Bible. He is always the one who takes the initiative and establishes the relationship with his people. He did it at creation. He did it with Abraham. He did it with the Israelites in Egypt. And he did it with us when Jesus died on the cross in our place. 
And so it's within this context of already being accepted into a relationship with God that people are called to respond to him, to come to know him. Let me illustrate this point. So we have a number of families at church who have infant children or are expecting children in the near future. Now those children, they haven't done anything to establish the family relationships into which they have or will soon be born. And because we have good families and good parents here at Woodcroft, those children are loved and accepted into the family simply because they are a child of that family. The children don't have to do anything to win the love or acceptance of their parents. They have that love and acceptance even before their birth. And I'm sure it's the great hope of the parents here that their children who will grow up in this context of already being loved and accepted, that they will grow up desiring to build deep, intimate relationships with their parents and to show love just as they have already been shown love. So just as I sought to challenge you before in asking if you desire to know Jesus, to know him relationally and emotionally, to share in his experiences, to have the defining moments of his life be the defining moments of your own life. Let me now comfort you with the knowledge that you are already known by Christ. You are already loved and accepted by him. He took the initiative and established the relationship with you. And so this challenge of coming to know Christ and to share in his experiences. It isn't about establishing the relationship with Christ and winning his favour, but rather living in light of the relational context in which you already exist. And it's living in light of the relational context in which you already exist. That leads me to my third point, which is press on. The language of persevering, determination, pressing towards a goal, it dominates the last four verses we're looking at today. In verse 12, Paul says he is pressing on. In verse 13, he is straining towards what is ahead. In verse 14, He's pressing on towards the goal to win the prize. This is an amazing attitude that is on display here. As I mentioned earlier, we know from earlier in the letter that Paul is in prison. I mean, clearly, Paul's plans have not worked out. I mean, I highly doubt ending up in prison in Rome, awaiting trial, potentially execution... I don't think that was at the top of Paul's ministry plans and desires. And Paul could have responded in a number of ways to his plans not working out. He could have packed it in, chucked in the towel, and given up on proclaiming the gospel. I mean, being in prison meant that he couldn't travel around anymore. 
He couldn't preach openly in the public square anymore. He couldn't see his gospel partners in person anymore. From a human perspective, I don't think any one of us would have blamed Paul if he'd packed it in at this point in time. But we know that this is not his response. Last week, Colin helped show us how Paul, having the same mindset as Christ, meant that he could forget about his own credentials, his own reasons for confidence, and to consider these things even as garbage. And it's this same mindset within the relational context of already being loved, accepted, and known by Christ, that Paul can forget about his misfortunes and forget about his plans not working out. You see, in verse 14, there Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul has his eyes on the prize. He is pressing on towards eternal life with Jesus. He is comforted and even strengthened to press on, to endure, to persevere, because he knows that Christ knows him, loves him, and accepts him. And so he can forget about what lies behind and shift his eyes from his misfortunes and his failed plans and shift his eyes towards the prize of knowing Christ and sharing an eternal life with him. In verse 15, Paul then goes on uh, to say that this way of thinking, forgetting what lies behind and pressing on with eyes focused on eternal life, this is the mature way of thinking. This is how to respond when inevitably plans don't go our way. Not by throwing in the towel, by throwing a tantrum or even a pity party, but within the context of already being known by Christ, already being accepted and loved by him, to press on and continue to desire to relationally know him more and more. Now, I said right at the beginning that this whole year of 2020, doesn't it just feel like a plan not coming together? So how can we have this mature mindset that Paul demonstrates? This mindset of pressing on with our eyes on the eternal prize in this crazy world where our plans are just not coming together. Because right now, it would be easy to give up, to throw in the towel, wouldn't it? To be sick and tired of having to do so much online, of having to do church online. Easy to no longer desire to know Christ more and more. Easy to relationally disconnect from the community and from church. You might even think that no one will even notice if you stop tuning into online church and just fade into the background. If that's how you're thinking and feeling at the moment, well, that's understandable. But I want to encourage you today, press on, endure, persevere, forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. Press on. Now, I know that isn't easy, 
pressing on, enduring, persevering, when plans aren't working out and things are not going our way. And as I mentioned before, Jesus didn't promise an easy path for his followers. He didn't promise his followers an easy path because, well, the path wasn't easy for him. People hated him and wanted to kill him. And yet Jesus had his eyes on the prize and he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. So let me encourage you today with the words of verse 16, the final verse of our reading for today. There it says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. For those who put their trust in Jesus, the prize of eternal life has already been attained. Jesus attained this prize of eternal life for us through his resurrection from the dead. And so we press on, living in light of what has already been attained for us by Jesus. At the start of this talk, I encourage you to take a few seconds to consider how you respond when your plans fail. My prayer for you all this week, as you continue to live in this world where inevitably our plans will fail, is that you will respond with this mature mindset demonstrated by Paul here in the book of Philippians, knowing that you are already known by Christ, you're already accepted and loved by him. My prayer is that you would press on, endure and strive forwards towards the prize of eternal life, all the while desiring to relationally know Jesus more and more. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Press on, friends. Press on.